Are you ready to change your life, your mind, and change the way you see your world? Well, this is the Minds Gym Podcast with myself, Brandon Bickmore, your turbo lover. And here we go. podcast back again with another sweet soul um i want to thank you guys for uh uh tuning in uh i really uh and i mention this often but uh, thanks for taking time out of your day to listen to this podcast uh it means a bunch to me and if you could please share it uh with your friends family uh loved ones you name it and uh um kind of spread the word that uh, we're trying to do the best we can here on uh, sharing some neat stories and hopefully giving you some exercises that can uh, change the way you see your world. And as you guys all know, I mentioned I suffered from severe anxiety and depression for several years and uh, hope by sharing uh, other stories in my story, it's going to help to uh, benefit you. So uh, with that being said, uh, hopefully you guys did really enjoyed Danny Vrain's podcast. Wasn't that neat? I know in part one, I uh, left you a little cliffhanger there, but uh, uh, hopefully you uh, uh, heard uh, part two and uh, and enjoyed it. Uh, he's a neat man, and uh, I'm glad you all were able to uh, hear his story. So as you guys know, I've been working at a, uh, a rehab facility that last little while, month or so, and I've met some beautiful souls down there, some absolutely amazing uh, individuals, and um, uh, it's called Pathways, and uh, they just opened up a uh, facility down in Glenwood, Utah, which is a couple hours, uh, two hours south of uh, Sandy Draper, Utah, and so I've had the chance to meet some uh, really neat humans down there, and uh, one just completed the program a couple weeks ago, and so I've decided to interview her today, and uh, well, how excited I am to have her on, and um, kind of hear her story, um, which I'll let her share shortly, um, and then also to, uh, talk a little bit about uh, the experiences that I've had down there the last month or so, being a part of that program, and uh, how neat it is to sit with these human beings that are open and vulnerable and fearless and uh, looking for some uh, tools to change their lives. And uh, it's a pretty neat program, and I'm thrilled to be a part of it. So today I have here in the podcast booth Courtney Cudmore. And she's uh, here to share a story about uh, uh, her battle uh uh, an addiction with alcohol. So how's it going today, Courtney? It's going wonderful. Good. Um, tell us a little bit about your journey. Maybe let's start with a chi- your childhood. It looks like you sent me over some info and sounds like you had a pretty neat upbringing. So tell me about your uh, childhood a little bit. 
Yeah, absolutely. I was a pretty happy kid. Um, I grew up in Naperville, Illinois with my parents and two sisters. And, um, you know, I just was a part of a lot of sports. I was a swimmer. I was a downhill ski racer. Um, yes, you can do that in Illinois. <laughs> um, I wondered that too. <laughs> there are mountains in Illinois? Oh, I wouldn't call them mountains. Yeah, hills? <laughs> hills. It was a 100-foot vertical hill with a tow rope that we would practice on, and we would go race in, in other states nearby, so... So it was a lot of fun. It um, became kind of my second family, um, the ski racing team, Four Lakes. And, um, you know, yeah, so my childhood, um, it was it was wonderful. You know, I've, I was very close with um, my mom all growing up. She was my best friend. Um, often, even in high school, I would, you know, stay in on a Friday night just to hang out with my family. And um, my dad was a, a huge inspiration to me. He owned his own business um, in construction. And I've always, always had kind of that entrepreneurial sense myself. Um, so I would go to work with him. And um, yeah, it, it, you know, I had two sisters, an older sister, um, Brittany, who actually has lived in Salt Lake City for over 15 years now. Um, she was way into the downhill ski racing, which is what brought her here and um, now all my other families migrating west. But my younger sister has uh, Down syndrome. She is now 28. And um, I, she is my absolute favorite, most wonderful person on this earth. She's an angel, for real. Um, Tell us a bit about her. Well, her name's Lane, right? Her na- her, yes, her name is yes. Lane. And what have you learned from her? And uh, what has she taught you on this planet? She has taught me a lot of patience. Um, growing up, I was always very patient. Um, I, ha- I needed to be with her a lot of the time. And um, the other thing that she has always taught me is, you know, I, I, when I look at someone, I really don't see, um, you know, I don't see religion. I don't see skin color. I don't see if they're, you know, skinny, fat, ugly, none of that. Um, she really, you know, has opened my world to just, um, you know, be inclusive of everyone. And, and, you know, it's, she's really been just the, the biggest, like, oh my gosh, I love her so much. She was just here this weekend. We had such a good time, but she lives in Illinois still. She does. Yes. Um, my mom and her are going to be moving to Utah next year. So that's exciting. So she's 28, you said? Yes. And you're 31. Correct. So you were three years apart. Yes. So what was that like when uh, she was born, when you were just a little young one? How was that, hanging out with her when you were like, I don't know, five to ten? She was the cutest little girl. Oh, my gosh. She was probably 10 years old and weighed only 40 pounds. She was tiny, tiny, tiny. Um, She got all of the attention. Um, So in our neighborhood, you know, everyone knew my older sister and they all knew Lane. And then they're like, oh, you have a middle child? Who's that? Courtney? Oh, okay. Um, Or on all of our, she was on the same ski team and swim team as me. And um, I was always known as Lane's sister. So I got my fame through her. Um, But yeah, oftentimes my older sister and I would actually fight over who got to play with her um, because we didn't always get along too well. But um, so we would, you know, fight over over Lane and 
<laughs> and how does Lane do? Like, how well does she function? There's different kind of levels of, she pretty highly functioning or? Yeah, she, she, she is pretty highly functioning. Um, she is living with my mom right now. And um, she has, you know, three different personal training sessions a week. She has a dance class. She also goes to a um, program for special needs. And they, they still work on a lot of their, um, you know, just life skills and things like that. She has had multiple jobs growing up. Um, she, you know, can ultimately live on her own, but it's better to be still with my mom. Um, the, the hardest thing for her is, is probably her speech. Um, and so, you know, talking to her is, is very fun and easy for me. Um, but it can be a little bit difficult to understand her for other people. Sure. Um, what a little angel, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I always, uh, my wife didn't like this too much, but I always said if they're going to send a little child down here to this planet that uh, I always wanted one. And I didn't get one, but I got two other angels. But uh, they're just so neat. They're non-judgmental. They don't pack as many stories. They're open. You know what I mean? Their their spirits are incredible. And uh, uh, what a fortunate thing for you to have her in your life. Oh, yeah. She always knew how to comfort me, even without me having to say, you know, I'm upset. She would just come sit by me, put her hand on my lap, um, and we would, you know, she would help me feel better. And um, I do have one cool story about her. Cool. Let's hear it. So recently, um, she was, so she, when I went into uh, treatment, she was a little confused of, you know, where, where's Courtney? Why can't I talk to her? Um, and there was a little bit of, of, you know, just a little, some things that went on with my family. A couple of people weren't talking to each other. I feel very bad about that, but it'll work itself out anyways. So Lane was very confused. She couldn't talk to Courtney. She, you know, wanted to talk to my aunt, but my aunt was kind of out of the picture at this point. And, um, so one night she called my aunt up on FaceTime and she was like, God whispered in my ear to call you because she, she didn't know what else to like. And so God actually whispered in her ear to call my aunt Chris, who no one is talking to. And it was, I mean, I got the chills when I heard that. I was like, you know, we're, we're not the most religious family. Like, like she really is an angel. Where does that come from? I know. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. How intuitive they are mm-hmm. and fearless and how well uh, she's just following her thoughts, right? Yeah. Okay. I had a thought. It said, call aunt. She followed it and uh, not sure what showed up, but it sounds like it was a pretty neat experience. Yeah. It really helped her to um, not be confused. My aunt was able to kind of talk to her and yeah. make things a little bit better for her. So oh, that's cool. Yeah. Amazing. They're so intuitive. You know, they're spot on. They're not all fogged up with past and future and whatever. It, it seems to me they're just like present. Yes. You know, more... Uh, in the moment. Yeah, in the moment. So kind of accepting what is and going with the flow. Kind of the goal for all of us here on this planet, right? So tell me a little bit about your like childhood to well, maybe share some elementary, middle school, high school. What experiences you had there. Yeah, so um, in elementary school, um, I do 
remember um, in fifth grade, there was some bullying. Um, There was actually, this was when AOL was a big thing and those chain emails. Um, There was a chain email going around. Um, It was a petition for my other classmates to sign against a friendship with me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that was kind of, you know, a little bit just, you know, just one thing of the bullying that was going on in fifth grade. But that was a very tough year for me. Um, It really, you know, shot down my um, self-esteem and my self-confidence. And it ended up ultimately, um, you know, uh, (laughs) it ultimately ended up like affecting who I was through middle school and high school. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I didn't think that, you know, I was as good as the other girls. I uh, wasn't, you know, as pretty. I was made fun of for... um, my big forehead. That's, mm-hmm. that's the only thing they could come up with to make fun of me for. So, mm. um, but yeah, so it kind of did shape, you know, the rest of my school years. Um, however, I absolutely was, um, very athletic involved in sports and teams. And, um, I had friends, you know, in multiple groups. I, I definitely wasn't one just to have a few. Um, but, Yes. Yeah, so. Kind of helped you branch out a little bit. It did. Yeah. yeah. Those childhood stories are amazing. You know, somebody says something or does something, then we believe it, and it really affects how we live from that point forward. So that's why it's so neat about doing those worksheets. You kind of go back to that bowling event, process that on a worksheet, and uh, see what shows up from yeah. there, because you'll see a different story than you actually saw back there in elementary school when you took on the shame and a little bit of guilt and am I not enough? Am I not pretty enough? You know, do I really not fit in? You know, all that stuff goes through our sweet little minds and then we start to believe it. Then like you said, it affects our future, you know, our middle school, high school. So tell us about skiing. So did you start skiing in middle school or or elementary? I started skiing when I was two and a half. Um, and I just from day one, I loved it. Absolutely loved skiing. Uh, my family would, uh, take ski trips once or twice a year. Uh, we'd go out to Jackson Hole, Wyoming or, um, to a ski resort in Colorado or Utah. Um, and so that is ultimately how I fell in love with mountains, with the snow and, um, why I moved out West as soon as I could (laughs) Mm -hmm. after graduating college. So, yeah. So tell me about your high school was good, right? Yeah. High school was a great experience in high school. Yeah. And then you went to college. Yes. Right. Yes. I went to school. I went to Illinois State University. And so that's in central Illinois. And I um, went with a lot of my high school friends. um, And I majored in business administration. So, yeah. And did you graduate? I sure did. Yep. I graduated in uh, 2010. And I did graduate with honors, um, you know, through high school or I'm sorry, through college, that's that's really when I started drinking um, and drinking quite a bit. Um, however, I was still attending nearly all of my classes. Um, I was participating in the honors program. I was the vice president of the Entrepreneurial Club. Um, and I even my senior year, I had a full-time job. Um, wow. So I was able to function and drink and party five to seven nights a week. So you were um, functioning 
drinker. I was. I was the party girl. Everyone knew to call me if they wanted to go out on a random day. Really? Yeah. So how did all that uh, affect you? So it became how many nights a week were you drinking? I'd say five at least. And how how much were you drinking? And how like explain to us a a night in the uh, history of Courtney's college career. Like was it uh, a few drinks? Was it several drinks? Was it start at five, end at five? What did it look like? Yeah, so um, I really would only drink socially in in college. Um, Maybe my roommates and I would have a couple pregame drinks um, getting ready. And then, you know, especially my junior and senior year, we would, um, you know, go out to the bars. And I I didn't have a limit on my drinking. I, um, you know, if someone offered me a drink, I would, I would take it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was really no saying no for me. Um, oftentimes it, it was drinking to the point of blackout. Um, some nights I, I was able to not quite get to that point. Um, especially, you know, if I had an early class the next day, I was still a bit mindful of that. Um, but most of the time, you know, I, I was, you know, getting drunk to yeah. get drunk. Get drunk <laughs> to get drunk. Yep. And then how did, uh, that started become a habit there for a while. If you were doing it five or six nights a week, did you continue junior, senior year, and did that continue into after college? Yes. Um, so I turned 21, and I actually threw this like huge party at my house um, in Illinois. It was my parents' house. Uh, we had a slide from the first floor to the basement, it was it was a it was a party house. It was yeah. super fun, and um, I invited you know close to two hundred people. Um, <laughs> I we I had a free keg for everybody. We had a pinata full of these little alcohol bottles, and um, we also I I made sure I went to you know Home Depot and made one of those beer bongs uh-huh. um, for everyone to to do. And I can still remember to this day. Um, I was doing the beer bong on my birthday during that party, and my mom was in the circle of friends watching me, and her face was just, oh, my gosh, like, Courtney, how can you, like, because I was really good at them. Yeah. So <laughs> She couldn't believe it. She couldn't believe it. She didn't talk to me for a month after that. Really? Yeah. So you had a party with 200 people. How old were you? 21. So you were, you were of drinking age, yes. but mom and dad were there, or just yes. mom? Mom and dad were there. And they were okay to let you have that big drinking party. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. Well, they didn't know. I was pretty good at hiding how much I drank. They just thought you'd have a little party and have a drink or two, but they didn't know you were a professional. (laughs) I don't I don't know if I knew I was professional, you know? Like I think I was still in denial too. Really? So yeah. Yeah, that was probably shocking for mom and dad to watch. I know. I wish I would have got the hint then, yeah. but you know, well. so, so then, uh, yeah, you know, keeping up from that, uh, I got a job in Breckenridge, Colorado, straight out of college, um, had a place to live. Um, I was working for Val Resorts and mm-hmm. lived in their employee housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I got down there, I didn't know anybody, but instantly had 20 friends, all who lived in employee housing. Uh, we worked on the mountain together. Um, it was a lot like college. Instead of going to classes, we were going to work during the day uh, for the mountain, and then we would party all week and all night long. Mm. And so it was kind of, you know, college 
all over again, a fifth year of college. And it actually was the most wonderful winter of my life that, that winter. Um, cause I always wanted to live in Colorado. So I finally was, but, um, yeah. And it, it just continued from there. So, so what was your, um, drink of choice while you were skiing in Colorado? Did you go to a, uh, you were drinking what, what did you drink when you were beer bonging in, uh, your t- 21 <laughs> year old party? I think we were drinking, were drinking those Keystone Light in college. So beer. Yeah, beer. Or beer. Lots of beer in college. And then when you moved to uh, Breckenridge, what was the choice of cocktail? Do you remember? Yes. I loved red wine, and I would buy the jugs of red wine. Mm-hmm. And I would share it, you know, yeah. so. <laughs> and how many of those could you drink in an evening? Oh, I couldn't drink the whole jug in one evening because oftentimes um, that was just the the start, the pregame, and then mm-hmm. we'd go out to the bars. Breckenridge is, is quite the party town as well. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it got to the point where, you know, if, people, if they were buying shots, it didn't matter what it was. Yeah. I wanted to drink it. Um, I loved whiskey, though. That was one of my most favorites. Um, and tequila, yeah. definitely. So shots here and there, and then you'd go through about a, you mentioned a jug of Rossi red wine yes. in a week or so. Yep, that cheap red wine. Cheap, sweet it's wine. awful. And you were 22 years old? Yep. And still functioning yes. pretty well? Yes. Cool. And then what happened? Got another job in the hospitality management? Yeah, so um, I continued working for Val Resorts. Um, I bounced around a couple different departments with them, um, you know, working toward the hospitality management career. So a lot of food and beverage. I was the assistant manager at the T-Bar, which is right at the base of Peak 8 there on the on the hill. And, um, you know, even during that time, being an assistant manager at the bar, I did not abuse the alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, I was still, you know, keeping it completely separate from work. Um, I was doing very, you know, I do remember some people kind of asking me about my alcoholism and or, or not necessarily alcoholism, but asking me like, do you think you drink too much? Like, I think you might. And I just, you know, totally put that behind me and was like, no, no, no. Um, and so it wasn't until about 25 where it really started to affect everything in mm-hmm. my life. Right. And tell us a little bit about that. So, and maybe tell us about after a few years, you mentioned you went and worked for Grand Teton Lodging Company. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, yeah, so um, the Grand Teton Lodge Company is the same company as Val Resorts, um, same ownership. And so um, I had the opportunity to go work in the Tetons, in the Grand Teton National Park for a summer. And we lived at Flag Ranch Resort. Um, the address there is two miles south of Yellowstone Highway 89. So we were in the middle of nowhere. Cool. It was awesome. There was 120 employees. We all lived on site. Um, there was two different sets of natural hot springs we could walk to, um, about 20 minutes right from our front door. And um, there was no cell service or internet. Wow. So all of our connections available to us were right there in front of us. Nice. It was really, really cool. Um, if we wanted to hang out with someone, 
you know, we'd, we'd walk up to their room and knock on their door, like the old style way. And, um, so we got really close. I'm, you know, they're all family to me still to this day. And, um, so I had a wonderful, wonderful experience there. Um, about halfway through that summer season, I was um, promoted to the food and beverage manager. And so I was still, you know, kicking kicking butt at work. Um, however, the anxiety was getting to me quite a bit um, with just the demands at work. Um, there was a lot of drama between all of my coworkers and friends, since we all lived together, worked together, all of that kind of inevitable. Um, and so the only thing, yes, there was so much to do during the day. We were in the middle of a beautiful, beautiful place of, in nature. Um, but at night there wasn't so much to do. And so a lot of us would drink until, you know, 2 a.m., 4 a.m., you know, until sunrise a lot of the time. And then, you know, just go to work. Mm -hmm. It was a five minute walk away. And, um, so the second summer that I spent there, I think it was in 2014, that's when um, my alcoholism really started to come out, um, where I was needing a drink in the morning. Um, I was definitely abusing abusing alcohol a lot more by then. Hmm. Um, and so with that, I decided, well, I'm you know, I've been you know kicking butt at my career. Um, I've been climbing the ladder, doing so well. You know, I haven't had enough fun yet. <laughs> um, and so I quit, and I actually got a job as a bartender and a server in, in town of Jackson Hole. Mm-hmm. And I lived there for a year. And that was, oh, my gosh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Have you been there? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love it there. Yeah. And how was that experience, Jackson Hole, being a bartender? Good on the alcohol or tough? It was one of the best years. I loved my job, bartending and serving. However, it was the first job I really abused alcohol in as well. Yeah. You know, having it right there at my fingertips. Um, we had shift drinks, you know, for free mm-hmm. after every single shift. So that didn't help either. So you'd sit around and have a cocktail after work. Or two or three, yep. So that's kind of where things kind of got a little crazy for Start me. Start to spiral a little bit. Yeah. And how, yeah. Old, how old were you then? Uh, 26. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit about the spiral. What started going on with your drinking? I was hiding it. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, and I, I thought I was hiding it very, very well. Looking back, I probably wasn't. Um, eventually, I, you know, was drinking a lot of either peppermint schnapps or vodka because I thought that would help my breath better or something like that. But, um, you know, I, I still thought I was able to hide it. You know, I could have a couple of drinks and be really good at work. Um, I could have a couple of drinks and go hang out with my friends and then drink some more and, oh, I'm just a lightweight. Um, and, you know, it, it definitely did start to get very hard for me. Um, I was starting to get a lot of hangovers. Um, the physical addiction was, was kicking in a little bit at that point too. Um, always, you know, I had the shakes quite often the next several years, um, and somehow I was, you know, still able to, you know, hold it together a little bit. I mean, 
You're still working and stuff. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I, I still worked all the way through my 20s. Wow. Um, you know, I got in trouble a few times, never with the law. Yeah, just um, at work. Just Yeah, just at work. Yeah. And uh, they would just catch you or notice your drinking on shift or or notice your behavior. What what? How did you get caught? Um, they would notice my behavior. Um, you know, I think I thought I was doing so well at hiding it, but it, you can see it just with, I would be slurring my words. Um, you, you could smell it. I mean, they say you can't smell vodka, but you can when you're drinking that much of it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a, you know, it was a very interesting, hard part of my life because I still didn't realize I had a problem. I didn't know. I just kept going with it. Um, I kept drinking. I kept doing what I was doing. And um, I really, you know, looking back, I wish I would have, you know, tried tried to find a rehab earlier, but (laughs) can't go back and change the past and wouldn't be here if I did. So your journey goes the way it goes. Yeah. Can't can't alter that. So how often were you drinking then? Was it a pretty much daily yes. for a couple of years? Yes. I mean, would you wake up in the morning and go to the bottle or would you work for a while and then go to the bottle or what did your days look like when it was when you were at your worst? So when I was at my worst, it was probably when I was 28 and 29. Um, and I would, you know, buy a lot of shooters you know, oftentimes in the bus, um, at the bus station bathroom, I'd, you know, go in there, take a couple shooters in the bathroom at work, you know, have a couple shooters. Um, and so that was, you know, so it was 24 seven. Absolutely. Um, I had made a lot of money <laughs> still. Cause once again, and you know, I was a, a very good worker through all of this and, you know, I had made a good chunk of money and, um, it all got spent toward alcohol. Really? Yeah. So you blew through all your savings? Yep. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Crazy. And then um, I think you uh, hit a low at a certain point. Um, or what was your low? Or I know you had a couple of crazy experiences. We were maybe considering suicide and stuff like that. Share some of those experiences with us. Where were you and where was your mind? And also... Did you ever notice how long were you trying to hide anything uh, or were you just trying to deal with anxiety or what was the reason for your drinking, do you think? You know, I think that uh, when I discovered alcohol in college, it really um, enabled me to be able to speak to anyone um, and I had so much fun and, you know, I became this party girl that people wanted to hang out with and, um, you know, and then eventually it also turned into like a coping mechanism for anxiety, depression, um, and of course that low self-esteem and, um, I just, I, I honestly, I just really loved to drink. Really? I loved it. Huh. I loved to party. Um, and so, and you know, I was in my twenties. I thought that's what everyone was doing. Yeah, I didn't do. see anything wrong with yeah. it. So, so share some of those really low experiences with us that you had. Yeah. So, um, through the age of 29, I, was often, um, at this point, I wasn't going out to drink anymore. I was just uh, staying home and and drinking in my bed, in my bedroom. And I had a roommate at the time, and um, 
the, there was a rule that we had and I was never allowed to lock my bedroom door um, because her biggest fear was actually that, you know, oh, I haven't seen Courtney in a little while, um, you know, and then she, you know, has to break into my room and, and finds me, you know, not with us anymore. Sure. And so I wasn't able to lock my door. Um, we would laugh about it. Oh, well, when I'm 30, you know, I'm going to get sober. Everything's going to be fine. And we're going to like be, you know, I don't know, just laughing about the 20s and, mm. you know, whatnot. And so, um, yeah. So eventually when I uh, turned 30 and that was kind of my mark um, for me to try to get sober, I recognized how hard it was um, to actually start to get sober um, immediately after I turned 30. And um, I was having such a, you know, miserable, miserable time. Um, I ended up like throwing myself down the stairs. Um, I don't know exactly the story. Um, I haven't really got it from the person I was with, but um, I ended up with a huge major concussion. Um, but I, I remember wanting to commit suicide and that being the action that I chose. Um, thankfully, you know, it wasn't very severe. Yeah. Uh, the concussion was. Um, but, you know, I, I just had experienced such a low um, hopelessness, helplessness. I wanted, I, I didn't think I could do it. You know, I, I thought, you know, I was, I was trapped um, in this alcoholism and I, I couldn't get out. Um, I didn't know how to, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know there were, there were ways yet. No one had, you know, let me know. So, um, eventually I, um, was, um, introduced to AA mm -hmm. and, um, I started to go to AA. I was able to, um, you know, kind of grasp onto their beliefs and uh, really, um, be able to connect with the people in those rooms because we are so much alike. And um, that felt really good to have that connection. And, um, you know, I was going to meetings uh, sometimes five or seven times a week, um, you know, trying to, you know, get on this sober boat. And um, I, the, but, you know, at AA, we introduce ourselves. Hey, I'm Courtney. I'm an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this, and yeah. um, well, we're going to cover that. Yeah. So, um, so you know, having you know, believing that I'm an alcoholic, well, I would continue to drink, and I had a lot of relapses um, over the next 13 months that I was in AA. Um, and the last one, um, which was right before I went into a residential um, here in Utah, was um, almost a funeral bill. Mm -hmm. um, it was very, very scary. My AA sponsor in Colorado actually broke through my window of my apartment. Um, and she was on the phone, uh, with one of my family members and was like, stay on the phone with me. I'm not sure I'm going to have a pulse when I get in there. And thankfully I was coherent enough. Um, I still had a, a you know, almost a full bottle of 90 proof vodka next to my bed. Um, but I was coherent. And so, um, but she was able to get me dressed, take me to the hospital. You know, I didn't fight her. I blew a 0.4 when I got there. And, um, if she hadn't come during her lunch break and came, you know, just hours later, mm -hmm. since I was coherent and still walking around, I would have finished that bottle and probably wouldn't be here today. So what was your, when you started drinking that bottle that morning, can you remember that morning or that day? 
It was honestly was it like a, a it was like a whole week of whole week. I was for Monday through Friday I was at like a point three five. Really? Yeah. So you drink all day for four or five days nonstop before she came by to see how you were doing? No, actually, I was admitted to the ER three times before that and always uh, left. That week? That that week, yes. So who was in, how did you know to go to the ER? How did you get to the ER the three times previous before your friend came by, your sponsor? Um, I had reached out to a family member, and she knows about my struggle with alcohol, and mm-hmm. she could tell that I... Um, had been drinking and she asked me to stop and I said no. And so um, she actually, you know, I I gave her the number to my sponsor. Um, I gave her that phone number and and she got in touch with my sponsor. She couldn't come over and so they called dispatch on me. So actually, you know, I was taken there by dispatch um, the first time and then I left. Um, My sponsor took me over there again and I left um, I don't know how I was able to leave the hospital, but the fourth time I got there that, that same day that I was just talking about, um, they finally had a security guard uh, watching me so I wouldn't leave. So did you just get up out of the hospital bed and said, I'm out of here, this isn't for me? I guess so. You don't remember? Nope. Wow, so that was all in one week. All in one week. So that was kind of rock bottom, I'd say. Oh, absolutely. It was It was scary. Wow. And what was going on in your mind then? Can you remember? It was, I was so helpless. I was so hopeless, um, more than I ever had been before. Um, I never want to get back to to that feeling, like even just thinking about it, Mm -hmm. it it hurts in my chest a little bit. But um, yeah, I just, I, once again, I felt trapped. I, I didn't know how to how to overcome this. Yeah. You didn't know there was a way out. I didn't. Didn't know you could overcome the bottle. You know, I knew there was AA and other people it worked for. Um but it wasn't working for me and so I was like, oh well, you know, maybe I'm one of those that it's just not gonna work. It just doesn't work, huh? Mm-hmm. And you didn't think there was any other options out there at the time? You know, I I was scared. I think there was a lot of fear there. Um, I really didn't think, I, I thought there was something fundamentally wrong with me. Yeah. And what were you afraid of? What was scary? You said you were scared. What were you afraid of if you knew? I assume you knew there was some, you know, uh, addiction centers you could go to, but was it scary to go face? It was... Yes, it was a very courageous decision that I ended up making to go into a residential. Um, you know, my, my my family was finally on my side after seeing this last week of, it was so traumatic for everyone. And um, I was scared, you know, of, of the money cost. Um, I was scared of, you know, leaving Colorado, which I've called home for, you know, 10 years and my friends there. I was scared. Um, I was, I was scared that you know I couldn't do it. Hmm. Really, so you're afraid of failure, afraid of leaving the world as you knew it. Yeah, basically. So pretty much, fear had taken over. Yes, completely. Yeah, right? it did. Wow, interesting. So what? Uh, where did you go to another facility? 
before you went to Pathways? I did, yes. Where did you go first? Um, So I went to a residential in Draper, Utah. It's Uh actually not open at the the moment. Um, And it was such an amazing opportunity that I was able to go there and be surrounded by my peers who are also struggling with similar um, substance abuse um, and also just to be in a safe place and not be able to drink. You know, I really just needed to be in a, you know, have four walls around me that were safe and where alcohol wasn't um, even reachable at that time. So um, that treatment center was was really good for, it was, it was more of a traditional uh, treatment center. Uh, it worked a lot on the symptomology and pathology of, of addiction. And, um, so it was, it was a good place to get sober. Um, I did have my spiritual awakening there as well. Um, there was, you know, after that experience of near death, I went to church, a non-denominational church one Sunday with, with the gang. And, uh, during the, the beginning of <clears throat> of that that morning, they were you know playing all the music in, in the dark um, room and everyone was you know praising the Lord and I just started crying like tears were just coming down my face because I'm still alive and I almost wasn't. And you know I, it just was like so amazing to be in a room full of people worshiping the same person. Um, the same person who, you know, gave me my life and, you know, I saved my life. Yeah. So were you a spiritual person? You said, uh, I think that you weren't really brought up in a religious house. Correct. Yeah. So were you spiritual? Did you believe in God growing up? What was mom and dad's beliefs on God growing up? Um, you know, we did go to a Methodist church until I was about in eighth grade, um, and then, you know, sports just kind of got in the way and a few other things. And so um, I really got away from the whole religion thing, um, especially through my drinking. You know, I'm not going to wake up on a Sunday morning to go to church um, after a night out. And so, yes, I had believed in God the, in, the entire time. Um, was I connected to him? Not really. You know, I, was, <clears throat> I wasn't really communicating with him too much. Um but uh, through AA and the idea of connecting to your your version of your higher power, um, you know, who he is or she is, whoever you want them to be, um, that's when I was really, you know, beginning to be connected spiritually again and mm-hmm. kind of find my God. Um, so what does your God look like today after going through that experience? Ooh, um, you know, he is just, he's the creator of the world. He's my savior. Um, and he's always here with me. I'm never alone. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't know that I have a exact like description of him or, or anything yeah. like that, but, you know, I absolutely believe there is a higher power and, um, that's one of the things that I really focused on when I got into the residential for the first time. You know, I was like, I'm still alive. I almost wasn't. You know, I'm here for a reason. And I don't know what that reason is, but God does. And so, you know, it's the let go, let God thing. Mm-hmm. 
and I really turned my will and my my life over to the care of him yeah. and and that's what AA teaches and um rec- you know and and that's what I was able to do and um by doing that and really having putting all my faith into him I think that's you know what really helped or you know brought up the spiritual awakening that I had that yeah. day cool so um and it is hard to describe God because everybody has a different one. So your description was wonderful, you know, the creator of uh, this world that we look at and everything we see. Um, so it's okay not to know the description. I think a lot of people think they know the description, but I don't know if anybody on the planet could actually describe God correctly. Yeah. <laughs> Because even the description is limiting who he really is. You know, I don't even know if words could could describe um, what God looks like or your higher power, one of your whatever your universal belief is in a higher power. I think it uh, it's almost impossible to explain with language. But you did a good job. <laughs> Thanks. So, what about Satan? Do you believe in Satan? I believe that, you know, there's absolutely demons, you know, and I would call alcohol, you know, something close to that. So (laughs) (laughs) it's definitely poison for me. So (laughs) poison, but it's also what you needed to get you here today. It is. That That is part of your journey. So is there anything wrong with it? You know, no, I wouldn't be here right now today if, you know, I didn't go through what I what I went through. I wouldn't be who I am yeah. today, and, and I love who I am today. Yeah, and, and you've been sober how many days? You 80, know? 80 wow. days. It's amazing. Yeah, first time, and ap- like absolutely sober, no mind-altering substances whatsoever. That's so cool. Yeah, Congratulations. Feels good. That's Thank a you. pretty impressive feat. Um. And would you be sober if it wasn't for all that power drinking, professional drinking you did as a young gal? No. No, probably not, huh? Did I say no mistakes? No mistakes. Sometimes that's part of the journey. We got to power drink sometimes to find ourselves. Yes. You know, so it's pretty cool. What about hell? Does hell exist? You know, that's a that's a difficult one for me. I like to see the good in everyone. Um, and I know that God can as well. So, you know, I try not to really think of that too much. Yeah, me neither. I don't believe hell exists. Only, no. in, the, only in the mind. I think we're all going to the same place. We all have our struggles here and... Uh, they're all different, you know. We all experience those demons that we gotta move through and over and and uh, work through. But uh, I think we're all gonna go to the same place. It feel, sure feels a lot better if I believe that. So that's what I'm gonna believe. Yeah, I like it. I don't think any of my friends are going to hell, and I don't think I'm going to hell because I don't think so. God's too kind. <laughs> He's not going to judge us when we get up there. He's going to say, did you learn from your experiences? Good job. <laughs> Come here. Um, so what's success for you today? How would you describe success? 
What is the meaning of success after you've been through this amazing journey? Success for me is really the having that self-love, having the self-worth, um, you know, believing in myself and um, doing each day to, to my best, you know, living to the fullest, living to my fullest potential. Um, you know, in, in finding myself, I just recently, um, I've created, I've been able to have a lot more new goals, like going back to school and, you know, getting into a, a career that's going to be able to help other people through this as well. Cool. What's, um, what's one thing you can do or whatever? So I'm sure you did this journey kind of affect family and friends. Yes. Yes. So is there anything you're doing now to improve the balance between family and self, work? I am, you know, reaching out to my family, loving everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I am being open and honest uh, with them. And um, I am, you know, I'm sharing a lot of the tools that I'm learning because ultimately, you know, I think these tools are good for everyone, not just for, you know, people in addiction. Um, And so I'm, you know, able to share some of the tidbits of knowledge that I'm learning um, from, you know, from the different residentials and, um, you know, with friends. Um, It it has been a little bit overwhelming since I've been out of residential. Um, And so I haven't quite reached out to everyone yet, Um, but I definitely have, you know, some... Um, friends I'd, I still need to reach out to and, um, you know, apologize and, and kind of let them know, like, you know, just I'm so sorry. And yeah. Cool. So Good for you. Um, I forgot to mention earlier, so you went to the place in Draper, and did you go right from Draper down to Glenwood, down to Pathways? Yes. Was that the journey? Yes. Okay. So how long were you in Draper in the sober living house or whatever? I was in Draper yeah. for 24 days, okay. and um, I was out of residential on my own for about six days, mm-hmm. and um, I was going to start with Pathways doing the PHP outpatient program, which is about 22 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I was feeling so overwhelmed, um, I was starting to sense you know, the beginning of a relapse, Without yet taking that drink, I could, I could just feel I was off. I was heading that direction, and so I was able to speak to my therapist um, at Pathways, and she's like, "I think going down to the residential that they have in Glenwood would be such an amazing, amazing experience for you. Um, you can go tomorrow." Hmm. And so I was like, "Yes." Absolutely, and I was there for 30 days. Cool. So that was, yeah, we didn't cover that journey exactly. So that was your second yes. attempt at recovery, basically. Yes. So the Draper facility, you struggled for a week or so after you got out of there. Yeah, I was out for about six days, yeah. so only, and I was already struggling. So right. I need. I knew I needed some more help and hmm. headed down to Glenwood. Cool. <laughs> um and then what was the, let's say, the biggest, um, what was the number one thing or the best exercise or the tool 
that you learned while you were in Pathways? Like, what was a big deal for you down there? Oh, the number one thing is difficult. Um, yeah. I mean, the the first thing that we started on um, and started learning and working on was affirmations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am courageous. I am strong. Um, I am willing. And, um, you know, just, just really repeating those 10 times a day to really get those positive thoughts, you know, into my head. Um, and from there, we did work on some belief changes. Mm-hmm. And then the most, the thing that completely turned my life upside down in a beautiful way was the Byron Katie work <laughs> that you helped introduce to us. Really? So, yeah. That was the game changer for you? It was. Wow. It was. So tell me about that experience, if that was your game changer. That's interesting to know. Hey, you. Thanks for listening to Courtney. This young lady's make a, made a 180-degree turn in her life, and uh, uh, it's been really neat to uh, watch her progress in the last three or four weeks and also all the other human beings that she... Uh, uh, was in the facility with, um, and so uh, left you a little cliffhanger there. She mentioned the Byron Katie work, so uh, obviously there's going to be part two next week, and uh, I hope you enjoyed part one, and then here's an exercise I'm going to leave you guys with, uh, and, and don't forget, your mind is uh, uh, like your body. It needs uh, as much exercise as possible. You know, the brain's uh, very similar to a muscle, And uh, we know it needs to be exercised to stay in shape, to stay sharp, and to stay clear. So this week's uh, exercise, I'm going to ask you guys to go buy a book. It's called Loving What Is. And obviously, the offer is Byron Katie. Since we just ended part one with Byron Katie, um, I think it would be tremendously helpful for everybody to go purchase that book and start reading it. It's an amazing book. It's clear. It's simple. And uh, uh, for me, uh, it was uh, probably one of the top five books I've ever read in my lifetime. So with that being said, um, enjoy your day. Uh, Thank you for listening again. Please tell your friends, tell your family. Um, You can reach me at themindsgym at gmail.com. And uh, please send me some questions on Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, private message me. I love answering your questions. And uh, if we're not answering or asking questions, we're not uh, learning. Uh, I question everything in my life. Uh, Every single negative event that shows up, anything I'm confused about, I question. So keep asking questions. And you'll be amazed what you learn. Love you guys. Peace out. And uh, we will see and uh, hear from you all hopefully this week. And have a lovely week. Peace out. Your turbo lover.